try to use my thinky my thinky thoughts sometimes (laughs) very effectively hey welcome to marginally a podcast about writing work and friendship i'm olivia a corporate fraud investigator living in london with my husband and two cats i'm currently working on a novel and daydreaming about lots of other projects And I'm Megan, a librarian and freelance indexer writing about complex women's friendships for both young adult and adult audiences. In today's episode, we talk to independent bookseller and essayist Nicole Brinkley about everything from community building with indie bookstores to vocational awe to knowing when to quit something, even when you love it. It's a short episode, but we pack a lot in. Nicole is an award-winning bookseller who manages Oblong Books in Rhinebeck, New York. She runs Miss Shelved, a newsletter whose essays about the book world have earned industry acclaim. Previously, she hosted a bookseller podcast and was a teen book blogger. She really likes dragons. You can find Nicole online at nebrinkley.com. That's B-R-I-N-K-L-E-Y.com. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. We're really excited to have you on. Um, And I think if you could just start and tell us about your wonderful bookshop, um, and how also you sort of came to the decision, like how you got involved in in your career, your profession, your vocation. I've seen it sort of referred to as different things. Yeah. Yeah. So I work at Oblong Books in Rhinebeck, New York, which uh, is one of the best bookstores in the Hudson Valley, as n- voted on numerous times by the people of the Hudson Valley. Uh, it is a sister store to our store in Millerton. We're a family-owned business that has been around for almost 50 years now, which is wild to think about. And I stumbled into book selling totally by accident. I had graduated college. Uh, I went to SUNY New Paltz, which is also in the Hudson Valley. And I was looking for a part-time job while I was applying for publishing jobs. Because if you love books, you're like, oh, I want to work in publishing. No, you don't. You want to be a bookseller is what you want to be. Because it's all the fun parts of publishing and none of the bad parts. So I was looking for a part-time job. And I this was back when I was on Twitter. And I tweeted absentmindedly that I was like, oh, Oblong would be so fun to work at. I had attended multiple events there. I just really love the space, love the energy. And Jen Lawfren, who's a literary agent who works part-time at the bookstore, happened to see it and was like, oh, we're hiring right now. I'll tell Susanna you're interested. And I came in and did the interview and she hired me on the spot. And I was like, great, this will be a great part-time job while I figure out how to get into publishing. And two weeks later, I came home and I turned to my family and was like, I'm not applying for publishing jobs anymore. I'm going to figure out how to get Susanna to make me full-time. And now I manage the whole store. So it worked out. (laughs) I really like, and one of the things that we often talk about is this sort of idea of, you know, you set off with one idea and you sort of end up Mm -hmm. doing something else and it's better, you know, than what you thought you wanted. So I guess I'm curious as well. I mean, why did you want to be around books? Why did you want to have that kind of role? And I think, you know, that probably links into how bookshops lead into um, community as well. So I have a very um, unconventional path into my career. So like most book loving people, I started reading at a very young age. I came from a single parent household. My mom is a freelance writer. So we spent a lot of time at like the public library. I got very into books and I wouldn't stop talking about them. So when I became a teenager, my mom was like, 
honey, I love you. I need you to stop telling me about books. All of my friends run blogs. Why don't you make a blog and you can tell the internet about your feelings and I'll just keep an eye on it. Um, and that turned into, um, it's no longer up online because I got lazy about paying for domains that I was no longer using. Um, but a website called Word for Teens, where I was a teen book blogger covering young adult books at kind of the peak of YA over a decade ago. Um, I attended my first professional book conference at age 15 as a professional. I was getting galleys and conferencing with publishers. So it was something that I kind of stumbled into just because I was so passionate about it. And then when I began looking at like, oh, I want to go to college, I have career options. I, it was always like, either I'm going to do a, like a 180 pivot and go hard into like animal rescue stuff, which I also love, or I'm going to keep doing this thing. I've already clearly built a platform and have connections doing. Um, and I chose the second one. And I'm really happy because I love animal rescue stuff still. And I donate and keep up with a bunch of bunch of them. But there's just something really special about books. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's funny because we probably were doing the YA book blogging thing around the same time. Probably, so, yeah. Um, you know, I'm <laughs> a bit older, so I was coming at it from like an adult. I wrote for Forever Young Adult for the yeah its, its first four years. So I'm sure yeah. I saw you at BEA. I was the woman with the breast pump in the bathroom because I had a newborn. <laughs> Look, as long as um, you weren't the woman biting other people for galleys, you're good. <laughs> yeah, no, that would not have been me. But yeah, no. So it is funny to see how that, and, and this is how I came to know you was not through the book blogging thing, but through what you're doing now with your newsletter. And it was actually probably an early Twitter thread uh, when I first encountered the way you think, which I love mm -hmm. your an analysis of what's going on in the publishing world, especially in the children's space, especially in the YA space. So not one of my better segues, but I know we also, <laughs> this is like the speed round po uh, podcast interview because uh, of time. So like you have a really good perspective on like the full growth and heyday. And now, I don't know, I don't know. I don't want to like prematurely call. We're at a different but... age of YA right now. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. For those of you wondering why we're we're speed running through all of this, uh, we are recording this at like 8 a.m. in the morning between like school drop offs and I have to go to work and we're just cramming it in. Uh, yeah, no, YA is in a, a, a different age right now for for better in some ways and for worse in others. Um, I'm I love all books, but children's books and YA books are like kind of my specialty, even though I read a lot of like sci-fi fantasy and romance on the adult side as well. And it's been really interesting to see like from when YA kind of had that huge boom back in the mid 2000s to like early 2010s um, to where it's gone over the past decade. And to see the shifts in, and even earlier than that, because I've studied young adult on like in college on an academic level. So like when it started in like the forties and fifties as like a sort of concept around the same time, like teenager became a concept. Um, and so to watch it fluctuate has been really interesting. I don't think we're ever going to see the same sort of huge boom we saw in the 2010s with like 
Twilight, Hunger Games, John Green, like everything was selling millions and millions of copies. But I think that is partly because of just the shift in um, the focus of publishing, the shift in how people approach young adults, what publishing thinks the young adult market actually is. Uh, They really seem to think it's adults right now, which really kind of misses the point of the whole category. Um, and I, I'm seeing a lot of pushback against that now, which is which is really, really lovely. And it, it's just been really interesting to watch. It's more diverse than it's ever been, which is incredible. Um, I do just wish the books went, would go back to being 250 pages and not like 500 pages, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and there was Dahlia Adler. Um, she's a author and she's great involved in publishing. She's amazing. Um, and we'll link to her stuff in the show notes because y'all need to check her out. But she had a tweet a couple of days ago that has been making the rounds in like both of our writing chats and um, about the lack of boy centered young adult and how middle grade kids and I'm the parent of a 12 year old boy and uh, he's a big reader. And just last night, well, anyway, how middle grade boys have nothing to graduate into and they just skip straight to adult books. And like just last night, I gave him a David Eddings book because, you know, he's getting too old. I mean, Wings of Fire will always be his comfort read, but like he's beyond that now, but there's nothing in there for him. Yeah, there is a a very interesting problem in YA right now where like young adult has always been a little more feminine driven. Um, partly because it's a category of like first romances and things that are traditionally presented with female characters. Although my nine-year-old loves a good love story. So boys do love love stories. And that's the thing is like, yes, boys can absolutely read books about girls. They can read books about romance if that's what they're interested in. But YA uh, is definitely missing a lack, uh, definitely has a lack of uh, boy protagonists. And definitely... What it focuses on as a category is very heavily like fantasy with romance and romance and history with romance. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love romance. But like as somebody who's on the ace spectrum and as somebody who doesn't always want to read about romance, it definitely narrows it down a little bit. There are books that I can give them, can give boys who come in, but like it's like I'm handing them the scythe series i'm handing them like a very limited range of things and i think it's also not surprising to me then that so many teens and especially teen boys or teens who are not traditionally drawn to romance um have pivoted to manga where there is an abundance of male protagonists and an abundance of stories that like might have some romance but are mostly just like trope and action driven and it doesn't surprise me that murder mysteries are doing so well in ya right now trope driven fast paced even if there is a little bit of romance like mm, probably not a good idea in a murder mystery don't be kissing people when somebody's trying to kill you <laughs> all i'm saying yeah. yeah for sure i really like that i don't have that much to <clears throat> to say about um ya cuz i don't know as much about it. and megan's like an expert so anything i say will be swallowed up by her um knowledge but but i'm curious about like i am interested a lot of people talk about, you know, bookstores and communities and city centers, but actually I want to think about how you, I mean, you're creating specifically, especially if you're the specialist in sort of children's books and younger readers, how you help them to think about community, how you're 
work as a bookseller is doing that specifically for kind of future generation? And what are you observing? So one of the things I love about bookselling is when if I were to go work in publishing, right, I would be thinking on such a grand scale. It would be, how do I sell thousands of copies of this? In the bookstore, I only have to sell one for it to be worthwhile. If I can sell five, great. That's a great book I'm pushing out. If I can sell more than that, crushing it. I'm doing great. Woo, go me. But it's more about making the connections between person to person and connecting them with the book that is right for them at that right time. And you can see the ripple effects of that in their life and within the community based on what teens are reading or what kids are reading, what families come to the store for. And it, I always love talking to people about books and recommending books. It's my favorite thing in the world to do. So that's what immediately like drew me into the job. But the longer I did it, the more I could see how de developing the skill, because it is that that is the biggest book selling skill, right? It's being able to talk to somebody and see what book they need, not necessarily what they're telling you they want, because sometimes what they say they want isn't like what they're actually in the mood for, but talking to them and seeing what they actually need at that moment to read and being able to connect them to it and watching it help them or change their life or change how they're interacting with the world around them. I'm very lucky that I have a lot of queer teens and families who really trust me. So being able to connect um, them to like, we have a, a wonderful kiddo who recently came out as trans to their parent. And so being able to connect not just the kid to trans stories, but a very excited parent to trans resources has been really exciting. Our local LGBTQ group just got a grant. And the first thing they did was go, we want to build a queer library. We will buy whatever you tell us to buy and being able to build those libraries and things like that. And watching that ripple effect of, okay, I gave one book to this one kid and now they've realized something about their identity and their parent is advocating for them and they're advocating in the school system. And this other school is advocating for their kids and how that's going to create a ripple effect. But also that also happens on a more micro level of just a nine-year-old girl comes in and really likes dragons and her parents don't know what to do with that. And I'm like, boy, can I help you? You are speaking my language and giving them that moment to feel seen and heard and listened to. That is on a micro level, what community can do in a bookstore. It's take, finding and connecting with that one person and building out. And then of course, there's the, there's the other things independent bookstores do on a community level events. I donate a bunch of books to like our local um, unhoused shelters and who who spread them around to our local community center. Um, we partner with the African Roots Library in Kingston. So I'm constantly filling up their stock with modern black books um, at no cost to them, which is great. Um, donating to local libraries, keeping that connection going, working with nonprofits, donating, all this other stuff. Um, bookstores are the heart of any community. They have to be because it's not like we're making a profit. Like it, it, this is not an industry that makes a lot of money. The joy of the job comes from those connections and bookstores last because they form those connections. And it's just kind of the best place to be. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wanted to also ask, so 
there actually, I have two separate questions, but that'll take us in two directions. Um, and I will just ask them both and then let you pick where you want to go first. And then, so the first one is, you know, as a librarian and you're talking as a bookseller and like how much you just feel for everybody who walks through your doors and how important it is to put those books in those hands and to help people be seen. Um, it just rings so true. And there's a concept that's big uh, in the library world, vocational awe. And we'll link to the original article uh, by, shoot, I can never remember how to say her name, but we will link to the original, like where this came up in the first place so people can get that context. But it's basically that like your job is so important that you would do it for free and you would do it at all hours of the day and nothing else in your life is as important. And so it does lead to some burnout um, and it does lead to where if like, no matter what situation you're in, you're kind of always wearing that, um, I want to help you hat. Like I'm sure you're come up like librarians joke all the time about people asking for directions in the supermarket, um, or whatever, you know, it's like, I just have a, can I help you face, um, never wear a red shirt to target, you know, I love when we get phone calls asking us if other businesses are open as if we know that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So there's just this like, and it's really hard to turn that off. And I like horrify my kids because we don't have an independent bookstore, which is another direction I want to take this conversation. Um, But if we're ever in Barnes and Noble and I happen to hear someone asking for help, and of course the staff has no idea how to help them. I can't help. I'm just sort of like, sort of like edge my way over and then wait until it's like less creepy than it could be otherwise. And then I jump in with a suggestion. I just, I can't turn it off. Um, So I'm curious how you handle that. And then the other question is in a place where you don't have an independent bookstore, what are you, how do you think about, like, what are the things you think about when you think about creating that same community, but online, especially coming from your like book blogger past. So choose your own adventure here. I'm going to somehow magically answer both of these in the same answer. (laughs) Um, So I've written about, I look, I'm going to try. We're going to see if I can pull it off. Um, so the concept of vocational awe, um, traditionally experienced by librarians, is was first described by Black radical librarian, and I believe it is pronounced Fabazi Atara, uh, but I could be butchering that, and I totally apologize if I am. Yes, thank you. Um, but the concept is basically, uh, I'm just going to read the definition. Vocational awe describes the set of ideas, values, and assumptions librarians have about themselves and the profession that result in notions that libraries as institutions are inherently good, sacred notions, and therefore beyond critique. It means we put a lot of ourselves into our work because at the end of the day, like the moral value of what we're doing and the community good is greater than our personal selves. That's not inherently true. So as of the time of this recording, because I don't know when this podcast is going to go up, Winter Institute was just last week. Winter Institute is one of the two major national conferences that happens for booksellers each year. Um, And I got to attend Winter Institute, and this year it was in Seattle. And there were two really, really great, very different keynotes. One of them was from Corey Doctorow and Stacey Mitchell, and they were talking about the power of independent spaces, specifically when like butting up against Amazon. 
And Corey specifically cited vocational awe as something like booksellers experience and as part of what like is a problem, but also gives them power, right? But one of the other keynotes was um, our wonderful uh, loyalty bookstore owner, Hannah Oliver Depp, in conversation with the author of a new uh, a book about basically how to do the work in diversity in your own life and in the workforce. I am blanking out on the author's name right now because it is 8.45 in the morning and I still have jet lag, uh, but we will probably drop a link in the box below, so check it out. And one of the things that Hana talks about um, in conversation with the author is the idea that if you have to give part of yourself, if you have to sacrifice part of yourself in order to do the work, it is already a sacrifice that is too much because you as an individual are worth more or worth as much as the movement. Like if you are minimizing yourself and cutting off parts of yourself in order to move an entire effort forward, that's noble, that's very self-sacrificial, but it's the cost is too high. We have to be able to be our whole selves and take care of our whole selves in order to move things forward. Well, and any critique of the movement is a critique of you personally. Yes. Yeah. Like, and we see that internalized a lot, I'm sure, with librarians and also with booksellers, where like if you critique bookselling or you critique librarian work, it's critiquing you personally and not the framework you're working in, which is not really healthy. That's not a healthy way to approach your profession or if you're trying to make change to approach change. You have to be able to separate yourself from the framework you are working in. It's why I could be very uh, a big critic of capitalism, but also still work in what is technically a retail space. I can't fix the whole system by myself, so I'm not going to hold that against me as I'm doing the work that I can do. Now, you asked specifically, how can we turn that off? But you also asked, how do we create community online, especially without independent bookstores around, but kind of mimic that? And the interesting thing is, like, on one hand, we can't do both of those, right? Like, we can't be like, all right, I'm done with my work, and I'm turning that switch off now, because then no further community is created. However, there's still like ways to create community without burning ourselves out. Um, and I think part of that is just keeping an eye on how far you're going. And I think part of it has to do with like, how far are you pushing yourself at work? Like if you're creating community after work, are you also going like above and beyond at work? Are you being paid enough at work to create community after work? Like there's a bunch of smaller things that come into this conversation. For me, I, I don't have the ability to turn it off. Um, I know this about me, but part of it is because so much of my job is, and like the, the underlying parts of my job are less like the job and more just my personality and interests. I recommend books regardless of whether or not I'm at the bookstore. I was on Hinge for a little while, and I think I was just recommending books to every lesbian in the Hudson Valley instead of actually flirting. Like, it was a problem. That's just me, though, and I know that. Setting up different boundaries for me at work. I don't check my email outside of work. When I leave for the workday, my work stops. It, my coworkers know not to text me unless it is an emergency. So I think setting up kind of like different, like traditional healthier boundaries and separating ourselves from our work in that regard and being like, when I go home, I'm home. 
And if I still want to do book things, that's fine. But then, of course, we go into creating community and it's like, well, if I do want to do book things, how do I do that? So if you don't have an independent bookstore near you, good news, you can just adopt one. So lots of independent bookstores do a lot of virtual events now. Um, I want to shout out my friends at The Novel Neighbor in St. Louis. They have a really robust virtual events program, but also a virtual book club that you can join from anywhere. So if you want community online, like go hit up places like that. There are other independent bookstores that do the same thing, but I was just looking at their page like 20 minutes before we started. So they are fresh on my mind. Um, there are lots of social media spaces you can join. I wish we were still in the area, the era where forums were a thing because the way social media works, like it's not actually uh, conducive to like nuanced, thoughtful conversations, but it is a good start if you want to connect with people and then take it like into a private discord or somewhere where you can like think more critically about things. Um, but just looking for those spaces and connecting with those people and not being afraid to just reach out and say, hey, I saw you read this book. I read it too. I thought it was great. What did you think? I know I'm a freak because I'm one of those people who can just walk up to other people and go, hey, I think you're cool. Let's be friends. And I've been told that's not normal, uh, <laughs> but it works well for me and it can work in a microcosm within that virtual community. So finding those independent bookstore spaces, looking for virtual book clubs, looking for places that are doing those virtual events that appeal to you, looking for a bookstore that might be not maybe within a daily driving reach, but if you want to do like a day trip and making that your indie and keeping an eye on what they do. Um, almost every independent bookstore is on social media. We have websites, we have newsletters. Oblong has one that goes out twice a week with a little letter from our boss and what we're reading and all the new books. We keep you hooked up. We keep you informed. Um, and so that is an option. So mind uh, how much you are burning yourself out, but also like, don't be afraid if that's what you're really passionate about to just put yourself out there and see what's out there. Cause there's a lot of independent bookstores ready and willing to connect with you. And a lot of people really passionate about books, ready to talk. I think one uh, thing I'm hearing, yeah, I love that answer. One thing you. I'm, I'm hearing from you is is also it's interesting the way that you took that question that Megan asked which is a really I think both of the questions really good questions <laughs> and turn them into an answer that was like Megan the question of applicational law is like constantly about giving and it's sort of about being like part of making a community is that you're not just sacrificing yourself right like you are also receiving I mean there has to be a two-way sort of flow of care and maybe information and relationships and things like that, I think. So that's quite an uh, interesting answer, I thought. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay, I have a question. We love to talk about quitting things. So if you don't mind, I wanted to talk. Your podcast is great um, and it's all still up uh, online, but you did have a podcast that is now currently on an indefinite pause. Um, and it's a really, first of all, I think the concept is, is really interesting and I really liked that. And then second, I thought you had some really interesting thoughts about sort of assessing whether it was working for you and deciding to pause it or quit it. Um, and we're big fans of quitting things and also going back to things we've quit before. So, you know, you're always welcome to walk back through that door, but I think if you could talk about that for a minute. For sure. So I, for two years, starting uh, in 20, late 2020, early 2021, ran a podcast called Misshelved. Uh, it also shares the same name as my newsletter. 
which connected independent booksellers in conversations with the authors they loved. So every episode you would sit down and I would introduce you to an independent bookseller somewhere across the country and one of their favorite authors. And they would just talk about whatever it is they wanted to talk about. That ranged from like our first podcast with Kathy Burner from Blue Willow Books in Texas, talking to kidlit author Mac Barnett about the frankly wild programs they have put on and as part of like school library events to um, Kalani Kapahua at Third Place Books in Ravenna in Seattle, talking to middle grade author Tay Keller about Asian American representation. There were adult authors, romance authors, sci-fi fantasy. Uh, Christopher Moore showed up at one point, which is a wild thing to think about. Um, and I ran that for two years and it is now on indefinite hiatus. Um, not because I didn't love doing it, because I did, but it became so time consuming for me, especially once we hit, we're not in a post-pandemic world, but when I started it, there was still, it was, I go to work, I come home and I can't go anywhere else. So I felt very disconnected from my community and I wanted to do something to help me reconnect to them. That's where the podcast started. And as 2022 came to an end, I realized that not only was I going back out and doing like conferences and events and all of this other stuff, um, and not only had a bunch of other bookstores started podcasts after I had started mine kind of in that gap time, but I wanted to read more again. I was very burned out on books in 2020 and 2021 for like, I don't know, so something must have happened that like made it really hard to like sit and focus on reading. I, you guys are going to have to figure it out. I don't know what it is, but as the end of 2022 came around, it having talked to all these booksellers and authors and reconnecting with my community and finally having the space to kind of like sit again after like theoretically, like, I don't know, maybe a global trauma, um, made me really want to read again. And I had all these books and I was doing the math on, okay, I can work all day and I can do my newsletter and I can do the podcast and I can sleep and I can take care of my cat and I can take care of my chronic back pain and I can read. Oh no, these are too many things. Uh, and something had to shift. And so as much as I loved the podcast and it was growing and it was getting a lot of really great attention, that was the thing I felt I'm doing this for fun and I'm doing this for me and a lot of people love it, but there are other avenues for these people to have these conversations and something needs to come off my plate because I'm, I have a, a sign up above my computer and it just says anything, not everything. I can do anything I want, but I can't do everything I want. So I have to put something down because taking care of me has to come first. Um, so it went on indefinite hiatus because I didn't want to just be like, it's never coming back on the off chance that I was like in three years, like, hmm, I want to do this again. Um, but it is on indefinite hiatus for now. Um, so that I can refocus on reading, which was great because I read like 20 something books in January for the first time in years. So yeah, that's the very mini story of uh, why the podcast started and also why it ended. But you should go check out the episodes. They're all still available online. There are a lot of really, really incredible independent booksellers who had a lot of really amazing conversations, like genuinely being able to sit in and listen to them was such a treat. And you can scroll through, you can pick. And if you don't have an independent bookstore and you want to adopt one, maybe this is how you find yours. Yeah, I was going to say that might be a good way to find somebody that you really sort of support. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. 
for sure. I love seeing like, so we move a lot. And so, you know, I saw you had eShaver booksellers in and I love that. It's my like, that's my adopted. Well, it was my real life one. Now it's just my adopted one. Um, but you know, Quail Ridge books, I mean, there's just so many booksellers, um, and it's great. And it's a great way to find a place. If you're going to go to a new town for a vacation to like find a bookstore ahead of time, because who doesn't go to the bookstore when they travel? I'm not saying my travel is solely based around how, like my route is based on how many bookstores I can hit on the way. I will take a route that's an hour longer if it means there's two bookstores I can stop at. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. I'll be in St. Louis in a couple of weeks. And I was like, Ooh, St. Louis bookstore. Thanks for the recommendation. Oh, you got to visit novel neighbor. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. And I just like in the two minutes we have before we have to go, I just want to say that like for those of you who are publishing with like small presses or like tiny presses or independent presses, um, your independent bookstores are the ones who will champion you. They don't have the rules like Barnes and Noble has about only buying titles that are in the top, whatever. Um, so Nicole's podcast is a great way to find those contacts and get a feel for who is the best champion for you. It's true. And for all of the, the booksellers I feature, there are thousands more. There were 900 attendees at Winter Institute, which is just a fraction of the, attend the, the booksellers in America. And of those, 435 were attending for the first time, which meant somebody else from their bookstore who already went wasn't going. And the passions range from like niche nonfiction to art history, to sci-fi fantasy, to romance, to kids books, to business books, to... There is a bookseller for everybody and taking the time to figure it out is one of the most rewarding things, not just for you, but like for that bookseller. I love finding people whose tastes I gel with um, because I get as many book recommendations from them as they do from me. I love that. Yeah. No, I like I have a very good bookshop in Exeter in the UK. Um, it's a really yeah. great bookshop and there's a couple of different other like chain bookstores here but they specifically put in things that you're not going to find anywhere else and it's just like a wild trip every time I go in there and obviously leave with several books that I didn't even hear about before so it's just like such a treat anyway I never get to like interact with the UK booksellers that much and it's such a different energy from the US but there are so many good really really good indies out there too that I like keep an eye on on social media from afar and there are great indies in Australia and there are great indies in New Zealand my boss is currently on vacation right now doing a huge tour of New Zealand and Australia and has just been going to every independent bookstore um, wherever you are in the world I can guarantee you somewhere near you is an independent bookstore that really just wants to love you as much as you want to love them yeah that is a great way to end so thank you so much for coming on <laughs> thanks nicole man thank you so on much dot. this is awesome yeah thanks. yeah all right thank I'm you have a great day the store now. Yeah. <laughs> bye and that's it for this week you can find us online at marginallypodcast.com and on instagram at marginallypodcast our email is podcast at marginallypodcast.com and if you haven't already please subscribe to our newsletter the sign-up form is on our website. And if you enjoy the show, please consider rating it and leaving a review in your podcast app and or sharing an episode with a friend. This will help us to grow our community. Thanks for listening and happy writing. Marginally is produced by the two of us, Megan and Olivia. So excuse any amateur issues. We're working on it. Theme music is It's Time by Scottica Casca. Show notes for every episode are available at marginallypodcast.com. 
Thanks for listening. Yeah, definitely get in touch. We'll be faster than two years to get back to you. So. <laughs> that, <laughs> I, has it really been two years?